0: Are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: It's election night. Votes are being cast as we speak. Can Republicans hold the House against the odds? Can they add to their Senate lead? That and all the big issues affecting it coming up on the Buck Sexton Show.
2: This, this is, is the Buck, Buck Sexton, Sexton Show, where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Russia.
1: One, all, thing. Make, make no mistake. America, you're a great America again.
2: The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst, former member of the NYPD, Buck Sexton.
1: It is Buck Sexton. Now, you seem to express a great deal of confidence, not to, uh, repeatedly
2: saying when you win, when you win. Are you 100% sure of victory tonight in your mind?
3: Yes,
4: I am. And let me just say why. As I travel across the country, I listen to the VIPs, the volunteers in politics, all the people who are knocking on doors, making calls and the rest. And I say to them, every step you take, every door you knock, every call you make, every sign you plant, every postcard you send, all of that can make the difference. Because these individual races will be close. And the uh, outpouring of mobilization by various groups uh, all working together springs from the quality of our candidates. They're inspired by our candidates, and that's why they're getting out to vote. Well, we think the
2: blue wave is going to hit a red wall all across this country. Uh, The the enthusiasm that President Trump and I are seeing, uh, he saw here in Montana just a short while ago, I saw today, all across this country, I think is all being driven by the results that President Trump and our partners in Congress have been able to deliver. I think the American people are stepping up. They're stepping forward. They're saying we want to see more more commitment to our military, more jobs, more growth, more tax relief, more conservatives on our courts at every level, mm-hmm. and they know that means that we need to renew and even grow our majorities on Capitol
1: Hill, and people are turning out to do just that. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Two very different assessments of how tonight's gonna shake out Woo, election night in many ways the most exciting and most boring day in politics exciting because there's an election boring because we have to hear about all day how there's an election (laughs) it's you turn on some of his coverage it's like hey what's going on over there phil oh there's a line of people you can only see four of them behind me but the line stretches around the block for all this voting oh my gosh Hey, let's parse the early voting numbers. Not going to tell us who's going to win, but really interesting. Back to you, Sally. You know, it's. Whew, there's a lot of that going on here. Um, and I I can tell you, you know, the, the, the races that matter. And by the way, I'm going to be at, at hill.tv tonight, which you can also watch it on Facebook. I'll be there. There'll be a lot of libs on the show, too. There'll some great conservatives. I believe my friend Raheem's going to join. Uh, we're going to have on. Uh, Charlie Kirk from Turning Point USA we're going to have on Armstrong uh, Williams, we're going to have on a whole bunch of conservatives too but we'll have a lot of libs so just be prepared for that but uh, that's tonight from 8 Eastern uh, to midnight, I'll be joining obviously as soon as I finish radio and uh, you can check us out there if you like, it's totally free you can, you can watch however you like uh, It's we're on Facebook, we'll be streaming on YouTube just go to The Hill on YouTube or on Facebook and you'll see and we'll be streaming there uh, for our election night coverage but you know, the races that matter here, I mean, I want Beto to just get crushed because I don't like this media fantasy they've created around this guy where he's like the Kennedy from Texas or something. I mean, it's just, it's all, it's all mythology. The guy's name is Robert. He married a billionaire and now he wants to be a national level political figure because who knows why? Because right? he's a true blue, true blue leftist. I don't know. I mean, sounds like it, but. So I don't, I don't think Beto the billionaire is going to do very well tonight. I, I hope that, as I've been saying, this has been really one of the only predictions that I've been consistently hammering. I, I think he's going to lose by 10 points. I hope he loses by 10. If he loses by 4, which I think some of the polls have him at, just uh, know that they'll say, oh, it's a w-. even though he lost, it's a win. That's what they'll say. Even though, you know, he, he couldn't pull it off, he pulled it off because he made a statement in Texas. So that's that election. Abrams Kemp, I think, uh, I think Kemp is going to win, but it's going to be close, very, very close in Georgia. Um, I think that Kemp is going to win. And by the way, notice how I'm throwing out all my predictions now because, you know, why not? If, if we're going to just get into the prediction zone, I might as well join the party, right? Well, some of you will listen to this, by the way, if you're on a, a little bit of a delay or listen to the podcast, you'll already know. So you'll be like, ah, oh, Buck, if you only knew, hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, but I think that Kemp will will narrowly squeak it out against Abrams. But, you know, that one I'm not super confident about, for sure. Uh, I'm very confident that Ted will will beat uh, Beto by a pretty wide margin. Um, the one that I can't tell you I've got good feelings about is Florida. I think Gillum's going to beat DeSantis. I just, you know, the media has a lot of attention on that one. DeSantis is not the most... Compelling candidate in the world. I, I just think that he's I think he's in trouble. Uh, I think he's in trouble there. I think that McSally will will uh, beat Cinema in Arizona. I think that uh, Heller is going to win in Nevada. I think that uh, I'm trying to think what else? Oh, and yeah, as much as I wish I could tell you Menendez would lose, I think Menendez is probably going to win in New Jersey. I mean, those are the big ones that I think people are paying a lot of attention to. Um, I also think Steve King is probably done. And J.D. Hayworth, I think it is. I'm doing this all off the top of my head. I, I think he will. Is J.D. Hayworth? What's the guy's name? I forget, you know, the guy who's running against uh, Steve King in Iowa. I forget his name. Anyway, I, I think that those are the way, the, the way those races will turn out. But, you know, you know, speculation isn't worth much the moment we have real results, right? So I, I won't spend too much time on that today. Though Those are my buck predictions. Take them or leave them. What's at stake, though? That matters. That matters to all of us. And, and here's what the real choice is tonight. I, I want to put it in very, very clear terms, as, as I try to do here on the show all the time, team. But what we have is, will enough of the country show up to vote that understands what Trump is trying to accomplish, what Trumpism and the Republican Party united behind it is really all about? and all of the good things, the positive movement in this country in the last two years, will enough people show up that want to continue with that? Or will Democrats take control of the House of Representatives and then drag us through a nightmarish, political, no-holds-barred free-for-all of impeachment, investigations, and prosecutions. Prosecutions that they will trump up. Prosecutions that will be very selective and politicized. There will be an effort for the deep state to now rely on congressional investigation as well as stuff going on inside the DOJ, FBI, you know, apparatus to go after Trump people. And it's going to be very, very ugly. They will even with the slimmest majority, impeach this president because their base demands it. What will they impeach him over? Who knows? Doesn't even really matter. Because while they'll impeach him, why they will impeach him is just a function of they hate him. They don't like the way he acts. They don't like the way he talks. They don't like what he stands for. They don't like that he holds the mirror up to the left and lets the rest of us see how ugly and cruel and destructive the political left really is. And so they hate him. That's the reason. They'll come up, oh, they'll talk about obstruction. Oh, they'll, you know, Russia collusion. Oh, did there, was there any collusion? No, but there was an attempt at attempted collusion. You know, they'll just come up with some construct of why they need to, you know, hold him accountable. You know, why there needs to be this reckoning of sorts. And, you know, truth be told, um, it's going to get very, very uh, contentious, very angry, very destructive here in D.C., and there'll be not a single policy benefit from Democrats holding the House of the next two years. There's nothing that will come from Democrats having a majority in the House of Representatives that is a that will markedly improve the lives of any American. Not one. It'll just give a foothold in the government For even crazier conspiracy theories, for even more insane lies about how the president, you know, worked with Russia and cheated on this or cheated on that, and all these different—I mean, that's where all of this is heading. That's what we are going to be in the midst of. So we figure out or we find out tonight what future we face. I mean, I I uh, am—I am deeply troubled at the notion of a Nancy Pelosi-led left-wing house that is just, they're just looking for payback. They're not looking for legislation. They're not looking to triangulate or come up with something that would actually be worthwhile that then they could run on in 2020 as actual accomplishment. No, no, no. They want to destroy. They want to destroy Trump. They want to destroy all the people around him. They don't care the economy's booming. They don't care that Trump has exceeded Almost everyone's expectations for how successful his presidency has been. and they don't even care that we're you know Trump's not on the ballot. They will make this, especially if they win the House, this will be considered a referendum on Trump because they will use that talking point of oh, this is a referendum on Trump as yet another reason, another rationale to trash Trump. You know they will use it as another, way that they are trying to explain why they're so ferociously opposed to this president and why they have to do everything in their power to take him down. Yes, I think the conventional wisdom right now looks pretty good, but doesn't the conventional wisdom always look pretty good? Isn't that always the case? Very likely that the Republicans will pick up a few Senate seats. I've been saying 55. Maybe that's a little, maybe that's a little rosy. Maybe it's 53, but 55 is the number that I've picked for the GOP and I'm sticking to it. In the House, smart money right now, such as it is, is on 20 to 30 seats going for the, you know, uh, switching over and going for the Democrats. You know, a net gain for the Democrats of 20 to 30 seats in the House of Representatives, which would give them a majority that sounds reasonable to me there's nothing about that that i think to myself oh well you know that can't happen that must but but again i don't know and the truth is nobody knows and thank heavens now finally you'll notice i don't talk about i mean opinion polls to some degree but but election polling on this show i I tend to stay away from because first of all who the heck think about this Shows. I mean, I would see this on MSNBC. You know, the the polling about candidates from three months ago. Who even remembers? Who even cares? It didn't matter then. It's just a way to fill time and and create a create room for wild speculation, which is what tonight is often about. Uh, and, until we finally get some numbers, but make no mistake about it. This is a very important day for the country. It's not the most important election of our lifetime. It's not the You know, that's put all that crap aside. But it is an important day because we are in the midst of a political change that goes right to the heart of elitist power structures in this country that has jolted people that thought that they were just going to continue on in their, in their positions of you know, of influence and, and access and money without anybody ever coming along to shake them up a little bit. And it also is, a, I would offer, to all of you listening, a necessary counterpoint and even really antidote to Obamaism. That's what Trump is. After eight years of being dragged into a progressive, dystopia insofar as they can affect things, America is very durable, right? A lot of stuff just kind of happens no matter who the president is. I mean I'm not trying to say that you know, everything went terrible and every- no 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 no. But in areas where the previous administration had the strongest hand, I mean in areas where they really pursued policies relentlessly, it was they were wrong and they were destructive policies. They did not work out well for the American people. they were, uh, they were damaging. More than they, There were some ways they were helpful, but they were damaging more than helpful. Trump is a corrective to that, and people are fighting furiously against it. They do not want to have to deal with the reality of not just the erasing of Obama's legacy, which is what Trump has been doing, but setting this country on a path where things may never be the same in a good way. If Trump is able to continue his work, but he needs a majority in the Senate and a majority in the House or else all that this turns into is an impeachment battle that won't be settled until the 2020 presidential election. More thoughts on this, my friends. I know it's a very, very busy night, so uh, stick with me. We'll be right back.
0: Far be it for the Republicans to talk about the disruption within the Democratic Party. They got their own disruption going on, battling their own president that refuses to talk about the economy, but yet continues to talk about uh, immigration. But they are not Republicans. They are Democrats. And we are looking for a big night to really hold off the president. And it's going to happen in the House.
1: Hold off the president. That's all this is. I mean, for all their talk on the left about health care and, you know, different policies that they say the Democrats are going to pursue, at the end of the day, this is just this is just a stop Trump election, or maybe you could say it's the precursor stop Trump election to the 2020. We're really they're really going to try to stop Trump then, right? But that's what they offer. Do you like what's going on now? If yes, vote for Trump. If you don't like the prosperity, if you don't like the lighter regulatory touch, if you don't like common sense applied to the very top of our government structure, then you can vote for some crazy leftists and see how, see how much fun we have as they try to transform us into a democratic socialist state with much less of the ideological cohesion than you have, by the way, in many of these successful democrat socialist states. One thing that never gets discussed is, you know, there's not a tremendous amount of acrimony and political division in places like Sweden or, well, more now these days, but that's a whole other conversation, or Denmark. Not a lot. There's a lot of a lot of unity and cohesion among people in those in those countries that that the left wing of the Democrat Party, the Bernie wing, points to and says, why can't we do what they do? Well, the answer may be we can't do it, that we wouldn't be able to pull that off. And we are a country now with very little that binds us. I mean, you have the left wing that just yesterday was saying maybe we should abolish the Senate. I'm seeing more of that today because why? Because they're not going to win the Senate. It's just it's just sour grapes. It's just crybaby stuff, but get ready for a lot of that with the Senate because they know that there's not that much that they'll be able to do with just the House. It it just becomes really a a place for them to do a lot of hashtag resistance speeches. You're gonna have a lot of that going on on the floor, and it's not good for the country. But you know it's it's the system we have, and I mean at I least respect it insofar as this is what's got to happen. Uh, but, man, for an election that's not supposed to be about the president, he certainly looms very large in, in this one. Uh, and I'll just, just one thing I want to note. You know, you never have Republicans in these congressional districts who are trying to run more like Democrats. Just look around tonight as the electoral map fills up and go, wait a second. That, that guy or that gal sounds a lot like a Republican on a lot of things. Oh, uh, now they've won. Oh, man, because you realize that when, when they get to D.C., when they get to Capitol Hill, all these people that are Democrats that are like, oh, but I'm a I'm a more traditional, you know, gun toting Democrat. And I'm from the South and I like the outdoors and blah, 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 and all this stuff. All of a sudden they vote like Nancy Pelosi. You, know, you, you don't have this with Republicans. Republicans are never. Oh, yeah, I'm a I'm a left wing, moderate Repo- or, or, or a centrist, moderate Republican. And, and now I'm really going to be a hardline right winger as soon as I get that, that. That doesn't happen. So I would just note that that's a dynamic that I'm sure is going to continue to play out. Uh, and also remember, you can watch uh, our Hill TV coverage tonight if you want to tune in, folks. There'll be some libs on there. Be prepared for it. But a lot of conservatives, too. It'll be fun. You get to hang out with me. And that'll be starting at uh, 8 Eastern tonight. Just go to Hill.TV or you can watch us on Facebook or we're streaming it on YouTube. A lot of digital platforms. Just type The Hill and you'll find it or go to Hill.com. More election big picture analysis is on the way, so uh, stay tuned.
2: We have a crisis of illegal immigration at our southern border. But this caravan that's moving north is deeply concerning to people all across this country. I hear about it every day. It's the reason why the president's made it clear that the caravan will not be allowed to enter our country illegally. Ultimately, we, we can end this crisis of illegal immigration, but we have to have partners on Capitol Hill to do it. And this midterm election is an opportunity for the American people to to elect and reelect men and women to our nation's capital uh, who will be committed to stand with this president. And I, I believe doing that, that uh, that will will end this crisis of illegal immigration once and for all.
1: I don't care what the pollsters say. I don't care what the exit polls. By the way, ignore exit polling. Ex- exit polling is garbage. Exit polling is like fancy rumor mongering. It really is, is nothing. People talk about it because you got all these different networks that are, oh, here we are, we got to cover this thing. But uh, y- y- you don't want to get caught up in the exit polling stuff because, you know, who knows what it really, it, it usually turns out to be a-, a nothing burger. And it's just, it's filler. It's on-air filler. So if you want to hear on-air filler, you know, get into the exit polls. And they always leak early and it's just, a, you know, it's a, it's a nonsense, nonsense fest. But immigration, I don't care what anybody says, immigration is important to American voters right now, and it's a winner for Trump and the Republican Party. Democrats can't win on immigration if people know what the parties stand for, if they know how these parties are different. All you hear from the left is that Republicans on immigration are racist and xenophobic and want to close us off from the rest of the world. That is preposterous. America, through our legal system, takes in a million legal immigrants every year and lets them live in this country permanently either as citizens or as green card holders. A million people every year. That's through our legal system. That includes a whole lot of what they call now family reunification, but it really is is chain migration. Uh, That's another, you know, the, the, the terminology here tells you so much about it, right? That's why I focus in on undocumented immigrant, which is nonsense versus illegal alien. They want to make it seem like none of this is a problem. None of this is wrong. They really are anti-sovereignty. They're anti-national sovereignty. And I would like to sit down at some point with, I mean, it probably would just devolve into a shouting match, but I was going to say some of the loudest voices of the Democratic Party in immigration and force them to answer the question, who can't stay and why? Because if the answer to who can't stay is I don't have an answer, that means that you really want everyone to stay. You just won't say it, which means that you don't believe in borders, which means that you don't believe in sovereignty, which means that you don't care if this country dissolves over time, which is what will happen if the Democrats have their way. It's not going to happen in a year. It won't happen in 10 years. But within a couple of generations, you will have a country that no longer is held together. Remember, America is an idea. We are not an ethnic group. We are not a religious group. It is an idea. If enough people come together in this country who don't share that idea and whose first act on our soil is a violation of some aspect of that idea, i.e. the rule of law that everyone has to obey the same laws, we are heading to a very dangerous place, a very destabilizing future, to be sure. But I just think that immigration, if, if the pollsters, and you notice how I'm not doing all those. Oh, this race and that race, and this prediction, and that prediction. I want to talk about the big issues. I want to talk about what's happening at the national level. I mean, you know, you'll well tomorrow we can go over the results because they'll have results. They'll have they'll have data. You know, right now, it's it's just a speculation Olympics. That's what you got going on the speculation Olympics today. Oh, everyone's just you know this might happen, but that might happen, but this might happen. And one of my favorite things to point out is that on on election day, no matter who you are, you can end your sentence with. It all depends on turnout, and people will nod approvingly who are around you. You know, well, uh, I'm not sure how this election is going to turn out, but it all depends on turnout. Uh, oh yeah, that's brilliant, Buck. You kind of repeated yourself there, but that's brilliant. You know, well, Bob, uh, how's the family doing? Family's good, Jim. But uh, it all depends on turnout. Well, that's 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 right. You know, good good call. I mean, th- this is what you deal with. I mean, you have a lot of people that are essentially dressing up slogans and acting like it's analysis, but it's really not analysis. But on immigration, if the pollsters have been wrong, which I can't tell you now, we'll find out tomorrow, but if, if, if there's, let's just say that the, that the craziest of crazy things happens right now, which is that Republicans actually hold the House. That's the thing that would be the outlier, the fat tail, the black swan. If that were to happen, it would only be possible if the pollsters had, uh, I, I, by the way, I think pollsters do try to get it right because their their viability is based upon getting it right. So I, I think that they're less infected with political bias than, say, pundits are. That doesn't mean that they don't have you know, some skew in their view. Uh, but if if the Republicans do hold the House and we have this, yet again, this shockwave moment of Oh my gosh! The establishment got it wrong. How could they not have seen this? How could they? It will be, in my opinion, because of the issue of immigration. I think it's. I think immigration is number one. And you know what I think number two is? The clarifying effect of Kavanaugh. I think a lot of people, a lot of people in the kind of you know middle, the upper middle class burbs, and just across the country in general. But if you're looking at it based on voting cohorts, a lot of people who weren't enamored with Trump and Trumpism, but who were traditional kind of right of center folks, they saw the ritualized humiliation and flagellation of Kavanaugh on national TV, and they realized what everyone in this country, if they're being honest, should realize, which is the Democrats will stop at nothing, they cannot be trusted, and they are crazy.
2: I would immediately uh, call uh, the president of Mexico, the president of Canada, to try to amend NAFTA. We've got to make sure that our agreements are good for everybody, because globalization right now is creating uh,
1: winners and losers. Wait a second. That was Obama at the start of his presidency. You said he was going to amend NAFTA. And also talking about how globalization's created winners and losers, and that affects jobs and other things here at home, right? I mean, that's the implication of what he said. First of all, wow, okay. So Obama was kind of paying attention at one time. And I would just note that uh, was there ever a NAFTA deal that Obama actually signed? Oh, no, he did not sign a NAFTA deal. But you know who did sign a deal on a renewed and updated NAFTA? Oh, that's right. President Trump did. Play clip, too. We have negotiated this new agreement based on the principle of fairness and reciprocity. To me, it's the most important word in trade because we've been treated so unfairly by so many nations all over the world. And we're changing that. That's right. The president has gotten results. This is a presidency that wants to be and should be judged on its results. And as I have said all along, They hate it even more because it is successful. I think the left, they would still despise Trump, but their fury would be less tinged with insanity if Trump weren't succeeding so much. The fact that his presidency is as good and as successful as it is so far just further frightens them that maybe they need to rethink some of their core beliefs and and they won't they'll shut that part of their brain out right away. Oh no, that that can't be it. It's got to be something else. It can't be that maybe Trump sees something that other people don't. It, it can't be that there's something else at work here. That's that's just not possible. Oh, but but it is. But it is. All along the administration has known. Trump has known. All of his top people have known. That mistakes of policy and any betrayal of the base uh, would be unforgiven, that it would be used for maximum political damage against the administration. And so they've had to they've had to one keep faith with the base and two uh, deliver and and that is what I think Trump has done and that's what to some degree the Republicans have done. look, we we can't skip over the fact that they did not repeal and replace Obamacare. It, that did not happen. And we have a, a handful of senators that we can thank, however you want to thank them, uh, for that whole process, uh, for that debacle. We did not repeal and replace Obamacare. And it really just goes to show you that there there can be, even for a party that I think is right in principle and, and right on the, uh, on the core issues, like the Republican Party is, there can be legislative malpractice. And, and that's, what, that's what it was to not have not just something ready to go, but something compelling with which to replace Obamacare, something compelling that you could sell to people, the voters. Uh, Pre existing conditions, I mean, you know, this is where we get into this policy discussion. Pre existing conditions are a very popular issue that have a lot of emotional appeal. Uh, people want to believe that if they get sick, there will be insurance for them. People want to believe that the government isn't going to allow for people to die slowly and painfully from treatable disease because they don't have insurance. And now people say, oh, Buck, but, you know, hospitals have to, yeah, the ER has to take you, but you might not necessarily get the life-saving treatments you need if you don't have insurance. I mean, let's just be honest about this. Now, how do you expand that? How do you make it better? Well, what you want is more people practicing medicine at a higher level and more efficient delivery of care. And the way you get that is by people who are the recipients of care having the power of the dollar behind them. So that means more free market-based solutions for a lot of this. Not all of it, because like Medicare is not free market. Medicaid is not free market. The VA is not free market. I mean, there's a lot of aspects of healthcare delivery that we have to come to grips with that aren't going away that are not based in the free. Now, people say, oh, Buck, you know, TRICARE and and and, uh, and the VA and there's some some programs now that allow for you to go see private doctors. Yeah, I, I know. Right. This is we're talking about an enormously complicated subject, but it gets boiled down to these very uh, useful political slogans by the left, while the right is talking about the free market, like we're at some kind of a Hayek lecture all the time. That just doesn't Cut it. I mean, it's one of if we I will say this, if we lose tonight in the election, if we lose the House, it will be in no small part because Republicans at a national and a local level have lacked a coherent and compelling message on what we're going to do on health care. They have not talked enough about the efforts to improve prescription drug pricing, which is a problem. I mean, these you know prescription drugs uh are you know when you're talking about the protection of intellectual property it's not an absolute thing there's a balancing act here between the good that society gets in the product and the benefit that the maker of the product gets from their patent or from their their trademark their right to sell this this particular intellectual property but it's not an absolute thing it's not a forever thing it's not a you know you develop some new drug and then on a whim, you can say, well, this drug now, you know, for people that need it to save their lives, it costs them a million dollars a day. You can't do that. And people say well, the market wouldn't bear it. But even in the short term, there, there are moral implications to some of these decisions. And the government is inherently involved. right? Because if a drug company comes along and says, here's my new drug, in a free, free market, you know what happens? Somebody else can say, oh, that's a great drug. I'm going to make that drug, too. Uh-oh, now your profit margin goes away, right? So the, the government's playing a role philosophically we need to understand that but there hasn't been nearly enough push on that and if there's one area of regret if there's one issue that I think Republicans have not done a good enough job you know look they've done what they can on the economy but you know the media is very powerful on that and and the and people don't vote when they're happy they vote when they're upset or annoyed about something they want something to change but on on health care you know they, they they didn't repeal and replace obamacare i know they'd say they didn't have the 60 votes for a supermajority but they couldn't even get to 51 votes as a budgetary measure you know john McCain you know cast that final vote against it and and, and killed the deal or killed the bill it wasn't a deal it was a bill but there's there has not been a a strong enough message on that issue and it it just makes me furious because the Democrats, look, they're going for single payer now because Obama if Obamacare was so great, why are they talking about single payer? Obamacare is not great. First of all, it only really affects a, a pretty small percentage of the overall population. And it's very expensive, very low quality health care that people who really can't afford to subsidize it are subsidizing. Now, if you make forty to seventy thousand dollars a year, Obama and you're in the individual market, Obamacare is probably a very bad deal for you. If you make you know thirty thousand dollars a year in the individual market, you know maybe now you're you're in a better position. But okay, I mean we're not we're not talking about a clear trade off of nothing but good stuff here. I mean some people are suffering because of it, and they're not suffering because of decisions that they've made. They're suffering because of decisions that the government's made. You know, a health care system where the dollar follows the consumer, where you have choice, where you have the ability to find the care that you want and get the best price for it. And the government regulation is altered so that we don't have these essentially these, you know, legal cartels that are still, uh, you know, still trying to do everything they can to protect even, you know, decades later, whatever patents they have in place and everything else. You know, the, the, the fact that drugs for things like um, or rather procedures like dialysis are, you know, so lobbyist intensive and there's so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes that's not free market. We need to clear it out. We need transparency. We need the individuals to have control of the dollars, and we also need to have a whole that. And this is a discussion that I know people don't necessarily want to have. We need to have a national level discussion about how you know what the truth is. Everybody's health is in their own hands. Now, what I I don't mean that you know you're if you get sick, and I'm somebody who's dealt with all kinds of really freakish, out of the blue ailments over the course of my life. You know, celiac disease being the one I've talked about the most, but just I've dealt with all kinds of stuff. I know you have, too. I'm not saying you're responsible for your health, as in, like, it's your, it's your fault you get the flu. What I'm saying is your health and wellness is really up to you. The government will not make you healthy. The government will not make you well. This needs to be, you know, we keep thinking of, oh, if we have health care, it's all going to be okay. No, it's not all going to be okay just because you have health care that the government gives you, that the government says you can have health like so many other things in our lives is an active process that should be left to the greatest degree possible to the individual of course working with doctors and experts but you've got it you've got to take control of it and and that's why a market that more accurately reflects i mean right now it's you know oh i I gotta go see a doctor i'll 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 go see somebody and i'll pay the copay and they'll tell me what to do all right well that that's good when you need it but there's a lot more to it than just that I, i know i'm I'm kind of getting a little bit off the off the uh, initial topic of the policy. But uh, once again, vote Republican because the Democrats are nuts. And even on health care, they don't have the solutions. They just have the slogans. You don't want that. Online security is essential. I am buying things online all the time. I'm I'm using sensitive information for banking, for credit cards, all this stuff. Do you think you're secure online? Well, keep in mind that I know and you know that there are lots of companies that are accessing your data and even selling it so there are ways to get there and i'm not even talking about hackers don't allow yourself to get exploited use expressvpn to protect you when you're online all your browsing history all your activity expressvpn can make sure that you are safe with the web it has easy to use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer phone and tablet the, the protection takes only one click. OK, it's a virtual private network. Try it for yourself. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck for three months free with a one year package.
3: They are actively yes. engaging in the fear mongering and the lying and the hatred. The president and his
2: team are trying to drive up fear and rage. Uh, when it comes to these migrants coming up from Central America towards the U.S. border.
3: Power to destroy this planet that's in the finger of a president of the United States. With president Trump holding rallies all over the country,
1: sinking to new lows with his lying and fear-mongering. This is why questions about his fitness for office are so urgent. This is the biggest story that I see happening right now. You know, presidents, their their job is to inspire and to bring hope to the American people, sometimes in difficult times. And what this president does is peddle fear.
3: Could be leading the United States towards World War III. Could be leading America towards a nuclear war. A sort of doomsday nightmare scenario. The president has fully embraced a dark anti-immigrant message in the hope that stoking fear. Will motivate voters to reject Democrats. Pose a profound danger to every single person in this country and literally every inhabitant of the planet Earth.
1: As you're at the polls today, my friends, although I know a lot of you probably already finished your voting, a lot of you probably early voted. I just want you to remember that the single biggest pitch the Democrats have for why you should vote for them is rooted in fear. Fear of fascism fear of Trump's reckless nuclear war, fear of Trump destroying the economy, fear, of you know, all these things. But the same people that are constantly trafficking in fear of Trump and you know, Russia collusion and how the Kremlin's running this country now and all this stuff, they're the ones that are telling you, oh, no, 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 don't be, don't be uh, fooled for a second by all the fear-mongering by the Republicans. It's not fear-mongering to say that we have a porous southern border With countless thousands, hundreds of thousands of people coming in year in and year out or not supposed to. It's not fear mongering to say that the opioid epidemic in this country, which is killing over 70,000 people a year, is primarily supplied by cartels working across the border and poisoning our brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers and husbands day in and day out in communities across the country. That's not fear-mongering, that's a fact. You know, there are some things that we have to address that are true, that are uncomfortable, and Trump is willing to do that on these issues. Now, the caravan was a big media cause initially. They all, oh, look, you're another caravan, women and children. They were the ones covering it. Trump didn't make this an issue. Trump didn't make 7,000 people come together and cross from Guatemala into Mexico and all this stuff. Clearly not. But it's indicative. The reason the media gets so upset about this is what it does is show you that they are not willing. They are not open and honest about the fact that they really want the whole caravan to come into the country. They want to see the caravan in the United States. They want to see more of them. I mean, the the Democrats are an extremist party on immigration now, extremist. The same way that when you talk to Democrats about abortion, you know, you realize, oh, wow, they they just it's everything or it's nothing with them. I mean, they're they're making no distinctions whatsoever. There's absolutely no willingness to take a moderate or middle position on this. Same thing's true with immigration. What is acceptable to the left when it comes to immigration? Amnesty. What is acceptable when it comes to the the left and people crossing our southern border? Anyone can claim asylum. Anyone gets to come in the country after they do so. Nobody faces interior enforcement unless they break a, a serious law, unless they break a, you know they commit a felony. Okay, so how are we not an open borders country at that point? Oh, because you have to stop and check in at the border first? All you got to do is claim asylum go through the process. A lot easier to do that, by the way, than go through the legal immigration process and all the different recommendations and lawyer fees and all these other things, right? It's a lot, lot harder to do it the legal way. So why would you do it the legal way? Why would you go through that route? And uh, I just would note that, you know, that we should be honest about this and not let the other side dictate the terms of our discussion. Uh, But this notion of of the conservatives engaging in fear-mongering, Trump engaging in fear-mongering, all I hear from the left is fear-mongering. These people say that Trump is basically like Hitler. They talk about fascism coming to America. And anybody, and I know this audience is very historically attuned, anybody knows anything about fascism knows, well, that's a terrifying thing, if that were true. It's nonsense, but some people believe it. Some people buy into it. And those people happen to be Democrats. And those people cannot be reasoned with on the policy matters that we've been discussing here on the show. Those people have really, they've lost it, as I've been telling you. By the way, you get another thing here with, With Biden, Um, Biden is saying that, uh, you know, this is going to this is going to put the brakes on Trump and and we're going to stop all the meanness and all the bad stuff. Producer Mike pulled together this this montage of former Vice President Joe Biden with what he says now about how he's, you know, we're going to restore civility and stop Trump from being such a racist and all this stuff to the kind of stuff he said in the past. Play clip 11.
3: And this is the single most important off-year election in my lifetime, and uh, I really think uh, it's more than just about a specific issues. I think it's about the character of the country. It's either he is so stupid that he doesn't understand. No, no, it's possible. That no, that, that it's po- not really. I, I Given the, it's possible he doesn't understand the damage he's doing. But I really believe it. I think uh, we have to change the tone. Well, let me tell you, he's a joke. Bill Roth worked 30 years together, not a harsh word, one single time. Can you imagine this guy becoming commander-in-chief and getting one ounce of respect from a single, solitary, military man or woman? Politic has gotten too nasty and it's too base. Any guy who talked that way was usually the fattest, ugliest SOB in the room. And this appeal to nativism and nationalism and the phony nationalism... And racism it has got to stop. And I think this election is going to put some brakes on it. If we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him.
1: So which which is it, Biden? Do we need, you know, serious Biden voice? I'm doing serious, serious talk about the country and the future. And, you know, or am I like, you know, hey, I'm going to hear Biden. I'm going to go kick some butt. And I'm, you know, Mr. Tough Guy. And Trump's a buffoon. And, you know, which is it? Which is it? I would note that, you know, Trump speaks the same way all the time. Trump was the same in that Oval Office interview I did a couple months ago as he is during his rallies. Same Trump. Obama, Biden, these guys have different acts they put on. You know, Biden, uh, oh, oh Biden, oh, gosh. Biden sometimes is, you know, Mr. Roll-Up-The-Sleeves, you know, yeah, I'm just, you know, blue-collar Joe, and then I just, you know. And and then, you know, a minute later, he's lecturing people on, on foreign policy and international relations, Because he thinks that he's connecting to different crowds. Obama, I mean, you know, Obama changes his cadence, his tone, all kinds of things, depending on what he thinks is most useful in the moment. Now, you could say that's just being a good politician, but I would say it's a little phony, isn't it? Trump's the same all the time. You get the same Trump any time of day. But, you know, I I really don't appreciate hearing from the left, you know, the same people that were trying to tell us a couple months ago, that justice kavanaugh was a teenage gang rapist now want to lecture us on civility now want to tell us that trump's tone has to change uh i i remember what they were doing to kavanaugh i remember how the left was playing that game and i am not going to forget any time and i really hope that people remember today as they cast their ballots because the left showed you who they were during that fiasco and it was ugly, it was disgusting, and it was disgraceful. So, yeah, vote Republican. Team, you know I'm all about Black Rifle coffee. I drink it every single morning. You know, I get up super early, but Black Rifle is a delicious kickstart to all my day's activities. And it's not one of these corporate slash commie coffee companies that are out there that. Try to do all this left wing bias training nonsense are always trying to stand ahead of the rest of the progressive crowd and seem like they're virtue signaling. Forget all that garbage. Go with a coffee company founded and operated by United States veterans to company that loves freedom and America. Black Rifle Coffee is the only company out there uh, that's a coffee company that gives a portion of its sales to veteran and first responder causes. It's roast-to-order, delicious coffee gets sent right to your door. This Veterans Day, get your coffee from Black Rifle Coffee. Visit blackriflecoffee.com slash buck, receive 15% off. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off your order. I
0: shouldn't be shocked anymore uh, by the the overt racism that we have seen either from the president of the the United States or Republicans who are trying to uh, win election. They are pulling out the stops in Georgia to try to keep Stacey Abrams from winning the election. If they vote Republican, they are saying, we are okay with the message coming from this party. We are okay with the president using racism uh, against migrants coming from Central America. We are okay with a gubernatorial candidate who is putting out tweets that are clearly about inciting fear among white voters to keep them from voting for for Stacey Abrams. So this is about the direction of the country and who we are as a people. And Georgia tonight has an opportunity to say that um, the Georgia of gone with the win is gone with the win.
1: How does the left define racism? Because I'm really sick of them throwing this term around all the time. I mean, it's just, it's it's really a, a central theme of every political conversation, it seems, on the left has to tie into race. It, it, it's just, it all comes back down to race. It all comes back down to identity politics. And they keep saying racist. And what I think is so interesting is they never have to define what racism really is. What do they think racism is? I've always operated with the following definition in mind. I know that there's some, you know, some gray areas here, and, but racism to me is treating or thinking of people differently because of their skin color or race. That that's what racism is. It's pretty straightforward. To the left, racism is you don't want unrestricted immigration across our southern border therefore you are racist and you say to yourself well hold on a second if there was unrestricted immigration coming from north of our border i'd have a problem with that too i just don't want people coming into this country who aren't obeying our laws and shouldn't be in the country i don't care where they come from i'm not advocating for unrestricted irish immigration to this country even though i'm about half irish probably more native american than elizabeth warren but i'm about half irish Uh, you know, so, so when they call that racist, to me, that's just a smear. It's unfair. It's, it's a lie. It's destructive. And I, I really get sick of it. And I think we all should be sick of it. I think that we all should call this out more than we do. Because they keep, they keep saying Trump is racist. I mean, there are some, you know, I would like to have this conversation with some of these big pundits and, and really be able to drill down into this because the questions that I would ask them And that was uh, Jonathan Capehart, who's a Washington Post writer, I believe, and an MSNBC contributor. I would ask Capehart. I would ask, I mean, I I can't even think of all the pundits that say Trump's racist because they all say he's racist on the left. I mean, that's one of their favorite talking points. But I'd say, okay, so what exactly are you saying? You're saying that Trump, is the claim that Trump doesn't like people who are not white? Is that really, and and if they believe, and I think some of them would say yes, but I'd want to know, what evidence do you have for that? Do you think the president's lying when he clearly gets up in front of people time and time again and and has a real pride that beams from his face when he talks about black unemployment at a historic low, Hispanic unemployment at a a historic low? I mean, do these leftists really think that when President Trump has, you know, young black conservatives, as recently happened at the White House, right? They had that whole group that came out of young black conservatives when they want to come in and talk to the president and they're so excited to see him, do liberals really believe that the president's thinking, well, you know, these aren't, these aren't my kind of people or, or something even maybe what, much worse than that? Because if they do, I think they're delusional. I think they're crazy. And I think that this old model that the Democrats still run with of telling everybody all the time that everything is racist is running out of steam. I mean, we're, we're all pretty sick of it. One thing that I don't think the left has come to grips with yet is that one of the reasons we have Trump as president is we're all so sick of being told that everything, and particularly every Republican, is racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racial all the time. Every conservative that I know and consider a friend uh, or colleague speaks about individuals and race relations in in tones that are very similar to the way i do which is that we view people as people and every you know there are some people who are great some people who are bad some people who are smart some people who are dumb and that's true of people of all races ethnicities and backgrounds and it is a moral and logical fallacy to judge an individual by skin color meanwhile the left wants to judge people by skin color all the time the left looks at your skin color and says you better be a democrat the left looks at your skin color and says you must have been oppressed. Let's help you get into school. The left looks at skin color and says you must add something special into the conversation. So let's uh, let's give you this government contract or you know whatever. Right? They they believe in a racial entitlement state, and yet they tell us that we're the ones who are so racist all the time. If there were hordes, I mean, this is this is where the left really falls apart. And, and they never are forced to really answer this question. None of their leading, I was going to say intellectuals, that's almost hard for me to say out loud, but none of their leading voices, loudest, whiniest pundits and writers on the left uh, ever have to grapple with this. Is their position really that they think that Trump voters, and remember, Trump only was able to win because a lot of Obama voters actually voted for Trump. A lot of Obama voting areas of the country in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, voted for Trump, their position is that if it were millions of people coming into the country who didn't speak English, uh, were impoverished and were breaking the law, but they had lighter skin color that the Republican Party would be excited about it, that that Republicans would be fine with this, They, they may believe that, but that's bull crap and it's crazy. It's not about skin color, but they try to make it about skin color in the conversation so that they can morally blackmail us into saying, OK, you're right. We, we don't have the right to sovereignty. We don't have the right to secure our borders. I've heard Trump called racist so many times that it, it, I'm almost numb to it at this point. I mean, people slip it into conversation on different TV shows, and it's, it's like it's part of his title now if you're a Democrat. Oh, yeah, our racist President Trump. They just say it all the time. And when I ask them, well, why is he racist again? They say, oh, they always bring They say, well, Charlottesville, he said there's good people on both sides. He misspoke. He wasn't trying to say that neo-Nazis were okay. And anybody who actually pays attention to the circumstances of the conversation knows that. I'm not saying what he said was okay. I'm saying he misspoke. He was talking about the fight over the monument. Should the monument stay or not? And he got convoluted. And, and then he condemned a thousand. I mean, you know, for people to say, oh, he didn't misspeak Buck. Well, yeah, he he condemned the uh the, the, the tiki torch mafia a, a bunch of times afterwards. They're losers. And he condemned them in a very Trumpian way. They're losers. These are these are people that we shouldn't listen to. They're irrelevant. They're clowns, they're losers, they're jokes. But none of that matters, right? All that matters is that he misspoke once, and now we're supposed to always and forever believe that he's a racist. It's just. Nobody that I know who knows this president, and I know people that know him very well personally, and I've known the family, although not super well, but I've known the family stretching back now for, gosh, I don't know, 20 years, 12, over 20 years. Um, I first met the Trumps when I was 14, I think, in New York. The guy's not a racist, all right? He's a New Yorker. He's like me. You live in New York. You get used to You like people for who they are. You don't care where they're from. You get brilliant people from all over the world, you get idiots from all over the world. It doesn't matter. You just take people as people. You're surrounded by the, you know, more diversity than you know, anywhere else you could ever imagine. But they want to believe that Trump is a racist. They're really dedicated to this idea that the President of the United States is racist. It is so destructive, my friends, and really makes me so angry. A little bit of surprising political stuff coming today from none other than uh, than Axl Rose. And, you know, for those who who you know, those of you who are a little on the young side, you may not know really who Axl Rose is because he was a huge deal really in the 80s. And he is the lead singer of the band gun was is uh, I guess was guns and roses. And he went after Trump today. And we happen to have a A Axl Rose expert of sorts with us, Brandon, DJ Brandon, <laughs> who runs the board, is an expert in all things Axl Rose. Brandon, wa- walk us through this feud with the former GNR frontman and Trump.
4: Well, he's, he is the current GNR frontman.
1: Oh, GNR is still a thing? See, I don't even know that. They, well,
4: to make it short, they reunited and, I guess, had the fourth most successful tour of all time last year, but... I guess that's not wait. It. Are you serious? They're yeah. actually doing well. That's oh, amazing Just yeah. was supposed to tell you about what the state <laughs> of music is today. No, no, they're they're alive and well now. It's amazing. But um, Axel is he tweets very few and far in between. He doesn't follow anybody, uh, usually nothing important. But lately he's been very political. And recently he went on kind of like a, a tirade for the first time, really coming, uh, calling out Trump supporters and saying that it's OK that he can't uh, pick his fans. Uh, and basically says the, the White House, is, uh, it's an emergency state, and he's tweeted him voting, putting in his, uh, his envelope uh, out there, and, he, you know, vote blue. So he's, uh, he's attacking Donald Trump and the entire administration and says that represents all of Guns and Roses. That's how they feel, and that started because uh, a sweet child of mine has been played at Trump rallies, and he can't do a cease and desist because of some sort of loophole. Yeah, here, here's venues. what he
1: says about it. Axelor tweeted out, unfortunately, the Trump campaign is using loopholes in the various venues' blanket performance licenses, which were not intended for such craven political purposes without the songwriter's consent. So as I understand it, if you are in an arena, the arena has the rights to music that it can play, and the venue can play the music without anyone say so under the licenses that they have, because usually they license out these music catalogs to, uh, you know, to like the Staples Center or whatever, and they figure they're going to be played mostly at either concerts or sporting events, so no one really cares. But for political events now, they play them, and I got to say, I like this. Trump is clearly the more these artists complain about it, the more Trump is going to do it. Why not? Why not troll? Why not troll Beyonce and Rihanna and Axl Rose? Why not?
4: It's it's quite amazing, and I see the the comments of the fans, people saying, you know, I've been a fan all my life, and now I'm not. So, but he's putting his his foot down; he doesn't care. It's the same. You know, a line of thinking as Bruce Springsteen or Green Day. They're just he's putting his uh, political views out there.
1: Yeah, I, I think everybody in, in entertainment should take the position of, uh, of Michael Jordan on this one, which is Republicans buy sneakers, too. <laughs> it's true. Republicans buy sneakers, too. Um, anyway, so I just, I felt like we had to, because we do have, Brandon, what, your, your podcast is what again? It's like Axl Rose through the ages or something. What do you do?
4: <laughs> Close enough. Uh, Appetite for Distortion. Actually, my last, uh, episode, we, we spoke about that because I mean, in, in regards like Ted Nugent, you know, like I don't go to his concerts because I don't want to hear, uh, it being politicized. So, um, so yeah, it's just, uh, you wouldn't think in 2018, Axel uh, Axl Rose, I think actually, uh, Chris Hayes called him woke. Uh, He tweeted. So it's being uh, taken notice by the liberal media. Oh, oh,
1: Axel Rose is woke. Yeah, I guess he's woke until he trashes a hotel room and Mm. a bunch of, you know, a bunch of people who are recent immigrants have to clean up after him. Like, you know, I I don't know about him being woke. I think people (laughs) might want to they might want to chill on that a little bit there. But, you know, there is there is that Um, there's a phenomenon that I want to take a moment to to address here, which is the uh, the dishonesty. Uh, that we see of, of people who claim to be Republicans and advocate voting for Democrats. Now, there are a lot of areas where you could you could get into a bit of um, you know a bit of a back and forth on this, right? There's a lot of I people say, "Oh, well, they're they're still conservative and Trump is not." But at this point, if you want to step away, and I know some very talented conservative writers who can't ba- who won't really openly back Trump, they'll back some of his policies. But they've kind of stepped, they've stepped away, meaning they're saying, all right, this isn't really my administration. I'll still call some balls and strikes, but I don't stand. They won't stand against Trump, but they certainly won't stand with the other side. I, I, I can understand that. I obviously don't agree with it. I think it's short sighted. I think it lacks some judgment. But I do think that there's a, there are principles at work there that I can understand and respect. I can understand and respect these people who are, I'm a Republican, now vote for all the Democrats. How, how is that supposed to work exactly? I mean, h- how does that help the situation in any way? It just strikes me as being, well, it's it's careerism, and it's really also about ego because a lot of Republican establishment figures uh, care first and foremost about their position within the Republican ranks, whether in media or in, or in the political world, and they won't, they won't uh, back down off of this. They, they're not willing to say, you know what, uh, I, I should I should chill out. This isn't all about me. Here's um, here, here's a, a montage courtesy of our main man, producer Mike, where you just hear some of this uh, from from different, quote, Republicans. Play 15.
0: The party of Trump must be destroyed
3: politically.
2: I am urging everybody to vote straight ticket Democratic in November because I think it is imperative to get some checks and balances.
3: I left the party about five weeks ago.
1: I think Democrats should take the House. Right. I think we'll be safer in a divided government. Those are all people who appear on TV, and I guess, maybe in some cases until recently as Republicans. I mean, they come from the Jen Rubin of the Washington Post School of Republicans, which is you only exist. So that, to bash Republicans and say you're a Republican when you do it. that That's your thing. That's your hook. I, I find these people gross. You know, I i, I could sit, you know, some of you I, I think were a little, uh, you know, you you wanted me to get into it a little bit more aggressively with with Jank uh, Uyghur of the Young Turks when he came on Rising. But we were having, look, one is that it wasn't a one-to-one conversation. I have to also be respectful of Crystal's time and she's a progressive and she's sitting there. So it's a difficult dynamic, but also... We were having a real conversation. He was answering questions. I mean, he said a couple of things that were a little, you know, a little bombastic and, and a little silly. But, you know, overall, he was he was we were having a conversation about stuff that matters to people. And whenever somebody wants to do that, I, I like to respond in kind. I don't you know, if I say, what do you think about health care? And someone says, I like single payer. I'm not going to start saying, oh, you're just a stupid commie. Why don't you go shut your stupid face? Right. If they say, "Well, I like single payer, unlike you, you racist Republican that doesn't care about poor people or health care," then I'll, you know, go to that other level, right? I mean, I I think that that's, it's not even just a question of being respectful. I just think that that's a more sane approach to these issues. But with these Republicans, quote Republicans that are out there, I, I just wonder what do they think the end game is here? Do they think that we'll forget that they stood for the party of? Pelosi, Schumer, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders, all, all these types, you know, Adam Schiff. I mean, some really slimy, gross characters on the left. They, they voted. They advocated publicly voting for these people. It, it's one thing to step away and say you can't support something. Everybody has that right. Uh, but it's another thing to say I'm going to support your enemies out of, out of spite of even though I'm supposed to be on your team. And I, I just think it's, look, I think that they're Republican turncoats. I really do. And, you know, there are a couple of them who are people that I've considered, if not friends, certainly kind of colleagues. And I find it very disappointing. And I don't know why they can't figure it out. I, I don't know why they can't see what's happening to the country and what's happened on the Supreme Court, what's happening to the federal judiciary and, and in so many different ways and say, these are good things not perfect trump is far from perfect but this is what we should get this is what we want from our politicians and from our president i just i think the act wears very thin here for these fake conservatives
0: it's the economy stupid we are growing you know 3.5% in Q3, 4.2% in Q2, 3% overall. My friends on the other side of the aisle said you couldn't beat two. We are now beating three. This is the biggest single story of 2018, and it is not going away.
1: The economy is roaring. In fact, the economy is so good, as you know, with this midterm election today, that a lot of us sit around and say, what else could Republicans realistically be expected to do to win votes of people who are persuadable? I mean, what what else could we really ask for beyond an economy that is exceeding anything that we saw during the Obama years? And we know this, by the way, because there were there were efforts made to excuse some of the weak aspects of the Obama economy, and I mean in years six, seven, and eight. I don't mean the first couple of years. By the way, the the, the greatest uh, luck, as it were, for the Obama for the Obama administration was that he came in with an economy that was in a cyclical recession, essentially, and all he did was spend a trillion dollars of taxpayer money on stuff that didn't need we didn't need to spend money on, and then make sure the recovery was a lot slower and a lot less strong than it would have otherwise been by raising taxes, by imposing more regulations, by creating business uncertainty. But you know, presidents don't determine every aspect of the economy. The economy, you, you could have had a, a, a goldfish be president after the recession and eventually the economy would rebound because the president isn't the economy. Right. So the, the thing that's so lucky at the Obama administration is that because the standard for where the economy was, was or rather because the, the level of the economy was so low, it was inevitable it was going to get better over time. I mean, it was inevitable because remember, Obama didn't do the bank bailout. I always think that that somehow gets lost here. It wasn't that Obama came up with some plan to save the economy. You know, what's really interesting is when you ask liberals, okay, so what did Obama do for this great recovery? Oh, you know, you know, it's, you know Keynesian stimulus. Well, even Paul Krugman, Krugman was saying at the time, you know, a year or two in, the Keynesian stimulus didn't work. It was too small. They didn't spend enough money. You know, all kinds of stuff. Just throwing a trillion dollars of your money, essentially putting it on the taxpayers' credit card, and spending it on all kinds of things Democrats wanted to spend it on. Well, you know they didn't, they, and people talk about the job creation and everything else. I mean, first of all, a lot of the jobs were in relatively low wage sectors, so you have a lot of people getting service industry jobs, which I don't think you could say that that's something that we want to see as as a continuing trend. We really want to see wage growth. You didn't have that. But, you know, you break down all the numbers and you see that there's this mythology now around what Obama was able to do. And it's completely and cynically created. It's really fabricated by the left and on the left. And keep in mind that if we were, I mean, I just want to I want to say this right now. This is I've been telling you all day, 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 day that no one can predict the future. It's one of the more interesting lectures. From Michael Crichton, that I think I've told you about in the past, where he just talks about nobody can predict it, and he really is somebody who paid attention to this, because so much futuristic prediction stuff, or rather, being able to see into the future, is is media and creative, uh, you know, kind of creative arts related. But you know, you get all these people go on TV. Oh, I can see the future on any number. The whole, you know, the stock market, all these things. Oh, people can no one, no one can really predict the future. It's just assessing probability and then taking reasonable risk on but no one really knows and you know I, I think that's important but you look at you look at where things are now with the economy and he, here's the big line right as everyone's going to the i know some of you are probably still voting as you hear this although it's getting pretty late pretty late in the game for most places if you're still in line don't go anywhere if you're listening to me on your iphone or your android don't go anywhere stay in line and vote please 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 Some of these elections are probably going to come down to a very, very thin margin. All right. If you're in particularly Florida, Indiana, Montana, Nevada, Arizona, New Jersey, I hope, but probably not as much, please stay and vote. I mean, I would say, I would say, uh, Tennessee, I think Blackburn's going to kick Bredesen's butt, uh, pretty handily. So what, what you, what, the Obama economy line, though, you know that it's garbage because let's say that in the next month, all of a sudden, we saw the signs of a really spooked economy, meaning we saw you know, a huge drop off in the 20 you know, percent drop off in the stock market. People's 401ks getting crushed. But people always say, oh, well, I don't have, you know, I'm not in the stock market. Do you have a pension plan? Because pension plans are all based on growth and earnings from the markets. So no, nobody's really immune from this stuff, right? The housing market's affected by this. Every, you know, your asset prices, everything's affected by the market. So, you know, I don't like that. I hear this from a lot of leftists. They say, oh, well, you know, only only twenty percent of Americans are even invested in the stock market. It's not really true because the markets, more broadly, bond market, stock market, currency markets, all of that affects every aspect of the economy. So again, there's a lot of a lot of uh, you know economic ignorance on the left. They kind of revel in it, really. So if the Obama, they call it the Obama recovery now because it's so good and they can't say it's not good. It's just, they just sound foolish. If we had a huge correction, I promise you they would stop referring to it as the Obama economy that day and now it's Trump's economy. And that's how you know that it's just, it's just partisan garbage. I mean, they're not really analyzing or assessing anything. In no way are they... Uh, looking at this objectively and saying, yeah, you know what, we we think that it is the Obama economy. They just want to try to take credit for something that they think will be politically useful for them, and, and that's what is driving all this. That's what it's really about. So that's my my message on the economy. I, I just hope that we can continue in this trajectory. We, we are going to have a reset at some point. I mean, that's not, you know, I can't tell you when. I'll just tell you it will, and that's just based in, in history. There will be a reset, and they'll all blame... If it happens on Trump's watch, they'll blame it all on Trump and tax cuts. And you, you know what the script will be. And that's really when I get concerned about a, a possible move toward real, real socialism in this country is if we have a huge. Remember, we were told that the the entire global financial market almost collapsed in 2000 and uh, 2008. I mean, that, that, that's gospel. We were told that if we didn't take drastic measures that we would have had. Uh, you know a, a kind of contagion where no one can get any credit, the markets all freeze up, and the whole thing just collapses around us and we'd have to build build our economic markets back up or, or rather our um, global markets back up from scratch and you know whether that's a little exaggerated or not, that was ten years ago, and that's where we were and that's what the so-called smart folks say about it so you can imagine that right now there's nothing that makes it beyond the pale that we could have a similar problem right now we could have a similar issue that would come up in the next six months the next six years who knows who knows i can't tell you the timing i don't pretend to be able to tell you the timing but just remember that they will the day that the economy goes bad is the day that they stop talking about the obama recovery and that's just because they're a bunch of dishonest hacks and they don't want to deal with the fact that when you unleash the american people to do what they do best when the business of the american people is business we all prosper and that's what trump has done Okay, so you've got a job opening. You want to get a fill with the best person as fast and efficiently as you can. So you post it online to some site no one's really ever heard of and hope that best people possible find you. Guess what? Not smart. So you put out some kind of like local Facebook ad or something and hope that you get the right person. Not smart. Hire the smart way the right way with ZipRecruiter, okay? That's the smart way to do things. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. I have colleagues at TheHill.com right now. In fact, some of my favorite people that I work with, we got from ZipRecruiter. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Again, ZipRecruiter.com buck. Hire the smart way. ZipRecruiter.com. Slash <laughs> Buck. One of the greatest disconnects between the left and the right in politics today is that the left really believes that people on the right are mean uncaring we don't care about the poor we only care about rich people even though a vast vast majority of us and more than a majority I mean a very small percentage of us are rich on the right uh, but we don't care about poor people uh, we only care about Wealthy people and white people and were mean. I mean, this is really this idea on the left, and it, and it continues, and it for as long as I've been aware of politics and following it. So stretching back to probably my high school years, there has been this idea out there that Republicans are mean. That Amazing Grace singing was going on at a uh, Trump rally. Uh, that was just uh, yesterday out in uh, Cape Girardeau, and a, a a woman, I believe it was a woman, um, f- appeared to fall ill and, and fainted, which, you know, in crowd situations that can happen. You get overheated, you get tired standing up, she fainted, and that Trump crowd, everyone there spontaneously started singing Amazing Grace as a doctor was called in to tend to this person. My understanding is that the person was uh, was fine. I don't believe anything serious happened, but I just think it was it was one of those unscripted moments where you got a window into how the people that support Trump really feel and who they are, and and what this president actually thinks. Look, the, the President Trump is is an imperfect vessel. You don't need me to tell you that. You know that. Right? President Trump is a flawed man, like we're all flawed people, and in some ways he is particularly perhaps idiosyncratic and maybe even extreme in certain flaws. But he also really is doing this because he cares about the country. Sure, he's got a very healthy, and that's putting it mildly ego and he has his appetites that he, uh, you know, in, engages. and you know, there's a lot of things that you can criticize about this president. But in terms of his ability to hold the office that he does, under the pressures that he does and push for what he's been doing since the very beginning, he's really incredible. I mean, he's, he's a phenomenon, but there's also a component of this that I feel like doesn't ever get talked about. And it doesn't certainly is, is not covered in the by the media and there's no effort to provide this balance there's so much about how, you know, Obama, the person Obama was so likable. And they do this to people who aren't nearly as charismatic as Obama was, right? They'll do this with, you know, Joe Biden. Oh, Joe Biden's so likable. Oh, you know, they'll tell these little anecdotes to really make the, make the person, the candidate, the politician seem like they're relatable. That's, that's really the special word in politics. Is this person relatable? And I would just offer that President Trump is highly relatable people across the country and the moment that you take his political positions out of it I mean if you just put Trump on a street corner talking to a bunch of construction workers of any race of any political persuasion and just talking to them like a normal person would they would like Trump and I think they would like Trump because as much as he's a billionaire and, and is a playboy and all these things I think that he has always had a respect for the common man for everyday folks. He likes them. It's it's more than even just respect. He has an affinity for them. I mean, he likes talking to normal people. He likes the way that everyday individuals engage with each other. And that's a big part of what's been so revolutionary about him and, and so has so differentiated him from previous GOP candidates. You know, it's not that I'm not aware of his shortcomings, it's that I think I'm over time more acutely aware of what is particularly special about him as a politician. All right. I'm not going to grow up or grow up. I'm pretty old right now. Somebody today told me they thought I was 30, by the way. That was, that was nice. I said, yeah, add add about six years onto that one soon to be seven. But he goes, you can't be over 30. I said, uh, it was a fellow journalist, by the way. I said, Oh no, I'm, I'm over 30. All right. I'm over 30. Uh, Anyway, I'm not going to tell my kids to emulate every aspect of Trump's personality. Maybe I do need to work on a Trump impression, by the way. I don't know if you guys ever want to hear a Trump impression. I feel like most of the Trump impressions that I come across, including from conservatives, are pretty lame. And I think that a lame Trump impression is something I really want to avoid. But anyway, but when this singing broke out at, at, this, uh, at this rally in Missouri and, and the Trump people all gathered there, and you just saw this other side of it, which is that the, the the Trump phenomenon, all these different Republicans, conservatives, and people who even voted for Obama before, people who aren't ideologically on the right, or at least not in a traditional uh, conservative way, you know, they want what's best for the country too. You know th- that we've been so force-fed really two narratives. One is that Trump is this this vile ogre who's just mean and horrible and lies and yells. And meanwhile, if you spend five minutes around the guy, you like him; he's a likable guy. You get the sense that you know he would be the—he'd be like the 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 dad who after school, if he wasn't a billionaire, you know, yeah, he might tell you to punch the bully in the nose, but he'd also you know give you an Attaboy pat on the back if the bully kicked your butt. You know what I mean? I mean he's he's a guy's guy, and he's a pretty normal guy when it comes down to it in terms of his ability to relate to people. That's one narrative that the media doesn't give you at all. The other one also is just. That the Trump movement isn't just about, oh, it's building walls and excluding people and so nasty and destructive and divisive and hateful and racist and all of this extreme negativity. Ultimately, the, the the Trump voters that I know, and the real Trump true believers from the very beginning, whether it's people who are at the very you know top of the movement in terms of their voice and their platform, or just. The folks that listen to this show, people that call in, people that I talk to, people that are emailing me and messaging me, they just want the country to do well and everybody in it to be doing well. And they want a country that lets us be who we are and pursue our own destiny without too much just constriction from the government. I mean, you know, the government, the federal government really is like a giant... Boa constrictor that will just slowly squeeze not just your funds out of you, but also your ability to choose your own path, choose your own destiny. You know, tell the government to leave us alone. There's always going to be governor around us. There's this is always going to be a tension. There'll be a battle here. But the the Trump voters want this country to be able to achieve its own greatness. And the way for this country to achieve its greatest position in the world, is to let all of its individuals achieve as much as they can. And, you know, there's also comfort in just being able to make choices. There's comfort in liberty. You know, this is something that really separates our society from many others. Many places we think of as oh so conformist and strict and even totalitarian, and that's bad, and we know that that's contra human nature, but people embrace it more than you'd think. A lot of people take comfort and solace in the limitations on their decision-making, in being told what to do, and being forced into a certain framework. There's an ease with which you can embrace being told what to do, being told who you are. America is special because we have the ability, we have the right, the God-given right, to decide who each and every one of us are and will be as individuals that is that is the fundamental that is the 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 foundational difference between us and many other polities, many other nation states, political organizations countries whatever you, however you want to separate them out that's very important and the Trump movement is fundamentally about doing what is right by and for the American people so that we can all benefit and prosper. And it's not supposed to be about just battling for the sake of battling. The reason we have a commander-in-chief now who politically battles as hard as he does and is willing to fight fire with fire is because for so long, we have been on the losing end of approaching every political issue with... First and foremost, a desire to sound a certain way, to appear a certain way in the fight instead of winning the fight. And if you think that winning the fight is going to make this country a better place for not just the 320 million Americans now, but the generations to come, you have to be willing to fight hard. Doesn't mean that you don't sing Amazing Grace when it calls time for that, too. You've heard me talk about snippy.com for a while now. Well, it is a rapidly growing new social media site. And by the way, they're making changes all the time, updates and additions that you're going to love. So if you've looked at snippy.com and you haven't started your account, I'm telling you, you're missing out. Go back and see for yourself. Thousands of my listeners have joined snippy.com and they're now expressing their opinions and stirring up lively conversation It's an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. Snippy not only encourages freedom of expression, but guarantees its users the ability to discuss topics freely without suppression from administrators. Uh, You can go to snippy.com right now. Check it out for yourself. You can see that they've got updates on politics, sports, current events, food, fashion, really anything you want to talk about. All right. No shadow banning, no suppression of conservative thought snippy.com new user interface stuff you'll love it also available on the apple app store and for android snippy.com ah yes we've talked a bit about media bias today on the show it's an important thing one of the obligations i'd say one of the primary fronts uh on which conservatives must fight must continue the fight is this notion that there is an unbiased uh, media out there and it's all just fine and conservatives are whining about this or they make a big deal out of nothing and yet every day it seems there's yet another instance another story another thing that happens that just proves the media is even more left-wing in its bias than we had previously thought right it just you just have more and more evidence of this that it is an overwhelming. Echo chamber of left wing sentiment, ideology, and uh, and emotions, and this is one of the this is one of the funnier ones that I've seen recently. So John James, who is a I believe a former fighter pilot, he is uh, running for Michigan uh, Michigan Senate, and uh, he's actually making a race of it. You know, people aren't really. Spending a lot of time talking about this. You have an African-American Republican former fighter pilot. I mean, this guy, compare this guy for a moment in terms of his star appeal and everything else to Beto. And you're like, OK, Beto married rich and now wants to be a national politician along the lines of a John Kerry-like figure without even John Kerry's military service. Uh, John James is a butt-kicking former fighter pilot, African-American Very telegenic, very charismatic guy. Why have you not heard of him? I mean, a lot of you have heard of him, but you know what I mean. Why have you not heard of him more? Why isn't this a bigger story? Well, this just goes to the overall bias. But this is classic. I mean, this is is really one of these things where, you know, you got to just go through life now pretty much assuming, if you're in an office at least, probably at home too, but if you're in an office that everything you say could get caught on a live mic and in this case it's a live telephone so a reporter named Brenda Battle who is a reporter for the Huron Daily Tribune called on Monday to set up an interview with James after the midterm election so that they could of course talk about what happened right no one really knows in advance but they want to set this up anyway and it's just so funny because what you have here is the encapsulation of of the liberal media. I know there's just one reporter, but it's symbolic, it's emblematic of so many of these reporters in how they really think, how they cover things, and all the rest of it. And, you know, she she starts she's when she's leaving her message, this is on a voicemail. Remember, this is a voicemail from this reporter to John James's campaign trying to set up an interview with him. And she goes from like neutral reporter lady voice to just what she really thinks. And, you know, you, the mask drops. You get to see who we're really dealing with here. Uh, and this voicemail, I think, is pretty hilarious. Uh, please play clip three.
3: Hi, my name is Brenda Battle. I am a reporter with the Huron Daily Tribune in Bad Axe, Michigan. Uh, looking to uh, set up an appointment with Mr. James for some time on Wednesday for a phone interview regarding the election results. I'm probably going to send an email over um, to the info at johnjamesforsenate.com with some details. Um, if you'd like to call me back, my, my number is 989. Thank you. Man, if he beats her, Jesus. F- John James. Whew. That would suck. I don't think it's going to happen.
1: <laughs> man, if he beats her, I don't think it's gonna happen. I like Brenda Battle. I, li- I like she's so she's so Michigander with the little with the Midwestern accent, you know the whole thing. Man, if he beats her, I don't think it's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Bra- Brandon, what do you think, man? I thought I thought it was great. You know, she goes from sweet sweet Michigander. Local news lady like, oh, I just want to set up an interview with John James. To all of a sudden, she switches into like, yeah, he, beep, beep. I don't know, you know, said all this mean stuff about him.
4: You got to be careful of those open mics or open phones and just wait a moment. Make sure you're hung up.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty funny. Um, I, I, I will say this. I, I heard today that I heard today that she was fired. And I, I think that that's harsh. I don't think she should get. It was an accident. I don't think that she should get fired. She didn't, say, look, she didn't say anything like racist or terrible. She doesn't want the guy to win. I actually don't have a problem with that in the sense that I know that journalists are very opinionated and politically engaged. In fact, most journalists are really activists. They're not, they, they shouldn't be described as journalists if you're going to say that that's a neutral, uh, a neutral term. Right? I mean, Most journalists are very ideologically motivated. That's why they do what they do. So I have no problem with that. I think she should just come out and say, well, you know what? I want to be an opinion journalist now. I want to be honest about where I am. But, you know, people would say, oh, well, she can't do that. And that's her career. And I, look, I know it's a bad look for the Huron Daily Tribune, although, honestly, this is the most national press the Huron Daily Tribune's gotten ever, probably. So uh, it's, you know, I, I think it's harsh to fire, though. Yeah, maybe, you, you know, you suspend her a few days. I, I don't know if she was fired. I was told that today by a friend who's a reporter. So I, I don't I don't agree with that because what she said... You know, she thought she was off mic. She didn't say anything terrible. So she doesn't like like this candidate. Guess what? I don't like a lot of Democrat candidates that are running, including some that I've interviewed. Yeah, I shouldn't on an open mic say, you know, bleepity bleep bleep. I hate that candidate. But it doesn't make me a bad. It wouldn't make me a bad guy if I did. So I have kind of a different take on this than other people. But this then brings us back to a theme this hour on the show, which is they just need to be honest about this. The person who was saying, yeah, I just want to have an interview with Brenda Battle, you know, well, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, I I don't think that she is in a position to be objective. She should just say that I'm, you know, Brenda Battle, Democrat journalist. And, you know, I'm covering things from that perspective. Why is that so anathema to people? She still has to use facts. She still has to, you know, report things accurately and truthfully or else she'll have no credibility. So I I believe in a total revamp of this. I think that the only, the truth is, I believe the only journalism is opinion journalism. We just need to come to grips with that. That is reality. That doesn't necessarily mean advocacy journalism. That's even a little step beyond. But at least opinion journalism, yes. Who are you? What party are you affiliated with? Ideologically, where are you? Honesty on that, which is really just transparency when we're talking about the media. I think that would go a very, very long way. And I'm I'm an advocate of it. But anyway, yeah, Brenda battle. You always you know, what could happen? What could happen is she gets fired, unfortunately.
4: Such an important thing.
3: I voted, brought tears, to my eyes. Just want for better for everyone.
1: And um feels good to be able to be able to say something and hope that things change. Go out and vote. Now, I'm not going to make fun of somebody for getting emotional in that way about casting a vote. I mean, it, you know, it is a a beautiful thing that we have representative government in this country. And one of the great advances in human political organization is, in fact, the processes involving democratic elections. And, of course, we are in a republic. You don't have to send me those emails correcting me. You know what I'm saying? We have a democratic process in our Republican form of government and, uh, or in our Republic rather. And, you know, it's, it's just, that's Jennifer Esposito, for those of you who might be wondering, and she is a semi-famous actress. Uh, if you've seen the, if you've seen the, uh, movie, gosh, what Crash, which actually won best picture, much to my surprise, about 15 years ago, uh, she was in that, and you know, she's very attractive. I know about her more because, no, not just because she's a very attractive actress, although, uh, but because she's celiac, she has celiac disease like me, and she actually runs a and owns a bakery in Manhattan that has all, all gluten-free goods. Uh, but anyway, she was crying there because she just cast her vote, and she's so hopeful for a change. And you know this is where I, I have to step into kind of just normal buck the dude mode here, and not not even really doing political analysis. Liberals really just need to calm down. It's it's going to be okay. I think that people look. I, I people can get very excited about their vote, and they can get very excited about different policies. And but when you're crying tears of of essentially sadness and terror as you go into the Voting booth, that's not good because everything really is okay. And this is a conversation that I have to have with my many liberal friends. I mean, I have, I know a lot of libs. Fortunately, my immediate circle are stalwart conservatives, but I I have a lot of libs in my life and I, and many of them I'm very, very fond of. And I try to tell them, or I try to explain to them, you know, what you're getting from these different media sources look around you in your day-to-day life do you have friends and family members who are being drafted to go fight in a uh you know a horrific uh meat grinder of a foreign war no do we have a pandemic of disease like spanish influenza no do we have a massive recession with millions tens of millions of people losing their homes or the unemployment line stretching the block no Those are all real things that happen in history, by the way, to people in living memory. None of that is happening right now. Things in this country are really good. And I would offer that we are in a more positive place in our day-to-day lives as Americans now with Trump as president than we were in the Obama era. Uh, That said, there is nothing that is going on right now that should make liberals... Freak out so much, you know. There's and I I ask them too, and they always point to rhetoric. Oh, Trump's rhetoric and what he said here and what he said there. And my response to that tends to be, "What does that really do for you or to you?" The answer is nothing. You know, Trump's tweets should not be haunting these people's dreams. I really worry that there is a a mass hysteria on the left, and when people become hysterical in this way, their judgment is clouded and it's really hard to find common ground and to trust their thought processes on on important issues. So, you know, Jennifer Esposito there, her her little clip went viral, this actress who's crying because she voted. I just want to say, okay, if you want to cry happy tears because we live in such a beautiful, amazing country, that's great. I'm all for it. But if you're crying because you think this is your last chance to stop America from falling into Trump's fascism and he's basically Hitler— I really mean this from the bottom of my heart, get a grip, libs, get a grip.
2: Liberty, truth, and great hair.
1: Feel those funky beats.
2: It's time for Roll Call.
1: Election Day roll call is the best roll call. Well, really, every day is the best roll call. Team, always good to hear from you. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. That is how you get this party started. Let's get right to it. Alan. Buck, I have to say that having Hannity and Pirro on stage with Trump is really bad optics for Fox News. Hard to criticize CNN. When you have Fox personalities stumping for Trump, well, Alan, I appreciate you're trying to be fair-minded, but the truth is, uh, I think that your distinction is uh, is lacking some some context here. Uh, Hannity and Puro are both open conservative opinion journalists or uh, or pundits. CNN. Pretends that their anchors, their primetime anchors in particular, are objective, neutral, nonpartisan journalists. Anderson Cooper, Jake Tapper, uh, Don Lemon, Aaron Burnett, and and Chris Cuomo. That's laughable. They're all Democrats. They're all a- operating as an appendage, a media appendage of the DNC. Always. That doesn't mean they can't ask normal questions, but I also am a partisan But I can ask normal questions, right? So I have issues with the GOP. I criticize Republicans. I disagree with them on different matters of policy. doesn't mean I'm not a partisan. It doesn't mean that I don't approach this without an ideology. CNN is fundamentally dishonest about what it does and where its people come down on these issues. Fox News is not. Now, look, everyone, even if you're trying to be the most neutral, uh, impartial journalist ever, you're going to have... Some crossover. You're going to have some sense that you know your your opinions are going to come through a little bit in your work, but it's not a little bit at CNN. It's a lot, Uh, and I just think that people should be honest about it. You can say, "Hey, I'm a Democrat journalist, but I really have a reputation for being fair-minded, for presenting the facts and the truth, and not trying to skew news narratives to serve a partisan agenda." So you know, there's a lot of nuance here. Just understand this way, though. The idea, and I actually got into a little Twitter dispute with some uh, Daily Beast reporter today about this, the idea that a journalist is a neutral, nonpartisan profession, this is really a mid to late 20th century American invention. This is new. This is not, this doesn't exist in the rest of the world. It doesn't exist in the UK, for example, where we derive a lot of our journalistic practices and the notion of the free press and all, all of these ideas really they come to us, not just from Europe, but more specifically from Great Britain. And there, there's a Tory paper, there's a liberal paper, you know, left, right, people understand this. It's just much more transparent. It's much more honest. You know, I'm a conservative and I'm pretty, I'm pretty hardcore. I mean, there are very few areas where I think you'd find me deviating from conservative ideology. I mean, there are a few. I like smoking bans in restaurants, for example. You know, there are some things where I admit that my little, my little inner statist comes out. Um, and, you know, I, I sometimes some of the nanny state stuff I start to think is, I know you're booing me right now. You can boo me. That's OK. But, you know, I, I may be thinking that soda being less than 64 ounces is not the word. It's not the government's business. I know that. I understand what. But I'm just saying I have a. Ideologically, sometimes I I see it it happens. You find areas where you really like something and you are reminded. And now these are small areas, obviously, but you're reminded of, oh, even I like to be sometimes a little bit of a big government totalitarian. Uh, But anyway, the the CNN Fox distinction is Fox News. Anybody is willing to say who's being honest that it it skews to the right and it is a conservative leaning network. That doesn't mean all of its journals. I mean, Shepard Smith is not a conservative at all. I mean, Shepard Smith, you could take his show and put it on CNN and it, it wouldn't even be out of place. Right. Keep in mind, there's no equivalent at CNN. There is no show that is in their daily lineup at CNN that you could put on air at Fox News. And you wouldn't say, wow, this is like the pro Hillary, pro Obama network. Uh, so, you know, it's, it, when you line these things up, it's more apparent MSNBC is really the equivalent for Fox. MSNBC is a place that I think everyone at least is willing to admit is left leaning, is pro Democrat. You know, is not calling balls and strikes and all this other nonsense that they say. Uh, as you see, Alan, this gets me fired up. That's why I've spent quite a bit of time talking about your one message here. Uh, but I appreciate it. And that said, Fox News did censure Sean, or you know, not censure him, but you know, Fox News did say that they don't like when their anchors do that. But he's not pretending to be neutral. And also, you guys know my rule applies here. I mean, I, I owe a, a debt of gratitude to Sean for letting me, in the early days of my career, fill in on his radio show, and also just for him being a great guy who's really honest and supportive and cool. So, you know, he's not somebody that you're going to hear me criticizing. Uh, and, you know, Fox News, they, they can say whatever they want about their anchors' activities, uh, I think what Sean does is is totally transparent, and, and I, I have no no issue with any of it at all. And same thing with Judge Janine, whom I always have a, a certain fondness for too. I just think she's so feisty. I like Judge Janine. She really lays it she really lays it down.
2: Said, well, but you know you what's said that when it, it people was, it's okay. be here end it's, up murdering the children of American citizens. You know what's horrible? What's when, horrible? When the president of the United States whips up cities. people.
1: See what I mean? Feisty. Very. Remember that? That was on The View. That was good times. Adam writes, if Republicans sweep, is the MSM smart enough to stop bashing Trump? No, no, Adam, you have to remember, the MSM is not trying to be. The mainstream media does not aspire to be even-handed and fair. They just say that to pander to their audience of left-wing viewers who like to think that their worldview is, in fact, the objective worldview. But that is not True, that is not the case. Uh, So they will not stop bashing Trump. In fact, it's been good for CNN's ratings to cover all Trump all the time. They've been very open about that. I guess because they can't hide it and because they've got to tell advertisers, they want to tell advertisers, they can make more money. Nicole writes, Hey Buck, yesterday you played a clip where Pelosi talked about knowing how to take a punch. Trigger warning, the dude with the Valley Girl accent you can hear in the recordings does not sound like he could take a punch and the effort involved with taking a swing at somebody would probably exhaust him. Dude has never won a fight in his life. Nicole, I I can't say I know who the other speaker was in that clip, but uh, thank you for writing in. James writes, Buck, love your show, love what you do for American patriots, but I have one complaint. Pointing out the lies, deceits, and wrongs of the Democrats is great, but how about some ideas to counter their deceptions and wrongdoing? Well, uh, you know, James, I... I, I try to do that. Um, I certainly espouse the policies that I believe in, and, and many of them are in line with what the Trump administration um, Trump administration is uh, pushing. So I'll continue to try to propose solutions. I know people want solutions. They want, they want good ideas, too, and not just, oh, there's this other you know, constant bashing of the left that goes on. Brandon writes, OSS here. Thank you for doing the great show you do, brother. It's a wonderful job. I want to tell you, your service to our republic is fantastic. I appreciate it. Thanks. You gave me my uh, r- last message read on air, but you deserve thanking anyway. Just want to let you know, I'm an alumni in the Wounded Warrior Project. Every week I get an email in regards to events like dinners or sporting events that are up in the swamp. Let me know if you ever want to hang out with a bunch of Wounded Warrior alums while watching a basketball game or something in the swamp. Shields high is always airborne all the way. Brandon, I'd love to join a bunch of uh, Wounded Warrior veterans for an event like that in D.C., so please shoot me some details, and if we can make it work on the schedules, we'll do it. Thank you so much. The only problem I have is, you know, my, my life is, uh, at night, pretty buttoned down with the whole doing a radio show thing here, but uh, nonetheless, let me know when you're, let me know when you're uh, coming into town with, with some of your Wounded Warrior uh, brothers and sisters-in-arms. TJ writes Jamal's segment this morning was the best I've heard from him. Couldn't hear a single word he said or Gillum. What or P Diddy had to say. FYI, want want to fix the audio from TJ. Oh gosh, TJ, did we have some tech issues in the hut? Oh man, that's uh, that's uh, not in the hut. Sorry, uh, on Rising. No, the hut's fine. Producer Mike is like, what are you talking about? We we keep it we keep it hundred percent legit here in the, in the uh, Freedom Hut. We don't have any of those issues. Um anyway so yeah Richard who told me about how I got the cities wrong Kansas and and uh, and Kansas Kansas City and and Kansas City Missouri uh don't be embarrassed you're way ahead of most of your fellow New Yorkers just by knowing there are two Kansas cities Thank you Richard I, I was a little a little sheepish about that one I got that one you know Samsonite I was way off uh, I was way off on that one but my Midwest geography needs a little tiny bit of work Seth Comes in with Shields High. You mentioned on Tuesday's podcast, you weren't sure if your audience is interested in hearing about policy. I'm a dedicated member of Team Buck, and I definitely do enjoy hearing the policy discussions. Um, Oh, no, sorry. That was an old message. Buck, Rahim was on Friday's show. I'd love to hear more of him guest hosting when it's needed. Shields High. Uh, Seth, I've already asked Rahim when he's available next when I'm out. So, he's a busy man. He's a man about town, an international man, a mystery. But uh, he is definitely somebody that we're hoping will take on uh, more guest hosting duties. Uh, so, there you have it. Um, what is the next? I had, somebody wrote me something that was critical, but I can't find it. I, I swear I can't find it right now. But it was somebody who was taking me to task on something, and I wanted to address it here. You know, I, I, I like the encouragement, is great because I deal with angry libs all day. But I also like constructive criticism if it's offered in the spirit of being constructive. Um, Let me just get to one more roll call here, and then we will close up shop so you can see what's going on with all of the uh, election results. Uh, Whoops, I just shut down my only... This is the problem when you do Facebook, and you're live, and you're doing all the things. You get a little internet problem. You guys know what I'm talking about. You get a little internet problem, and all of a sudden it's like, uh uh-oh. What do I? What do I do now? And the answer is stall. Karen writes. Speaking of making up words, did you catch Stacey Abrams in an interview with Stephanopoulos coming up with ostrich ostracization, much fancier than ostracism? No, I didn't catch that, Karen. But I agree, it is much fancier. Uh, so thank you so much for uh, for that team. Uh, please enjoy the rest of your election day by not worrying too much about any of this. No matter what the results are by the time you hear this show, we will be fine, we will carry on, we will defend this nation, we will make it great again, and we will keep our shields high. A lot of people out there will tell you things that aren't true to get a job or to try to rent your property. And if you're going to have an employee, you got to make sure that you know who you're dealing with, right? You don't want any liability and you don't want any headaches from somebody falsifying their background and their records. That's why you need to be in business with Global Verification Network. Global Verification is the best background investigation and vetting company out there, all right? They are a veteran owned and operated company with offices throughout the country. They're headquartered in Chicago and they have a very important characteristic that a lot of these other companies don't. They don't offshore your work or your data. All the background checks are done here stateside. If you've got a tough question, a tough problem, you call them, you'll get an answer. Check them out for yourself. Whatever size company you have, you should go to MyGVN.com. That's MyGVN.com or call 877-695-1179.